Hi everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth. And this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning dear friends, welcome to another saunter and today we are in Genesis chapter 35. So Let's go. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we love you. We need you. We welcome you. We ask for your wisdom, your discernment, that our eyes would be open to see what you are trying to say to us and to hear your heartbeat in this scripture today. So we welcome you, Lord. Amen. Good to see you, Kathy. So here we go now. Genesis chapter 35. And God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Now remember, Jacob had become a nasty smell in the neighbourhood. Buenos dias, Flora. Good morning, Mary. And he'd become, because of his unruly sons, Simeon and Levi, they'd gone in and they'd massacred this whole city at the edge of the sword because of the offence that had been caused to their sister Dinah by the the prince of that city, Shechem. And uh, so now Jacob is feeling like, boy, we can barely stay in this place. We're going to be hunted down. We're going to be everybody's worst enemy. We're going to be public enemy number one. And so um, we need, but then God speaks to him and he says, right, go to Bethel. Can you remember God spoke to him a couple of chapters ago and said go to Bethel. However, he ended up diverting, going to Shechem and camping there and building himself a house and making sheds for his animals and all the rest of it. And he kind of became comfortable, it seems, in that region. And now he has to go because his sons have made it impossible for him to stay. Good morning, Adrian. And uh, so But now God speaks to him again. God is gracious and God's giving him another chance. And he's saying, Jacob, go, arise, go to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Go back, Jacob, to that place of encounter, to that place where I met with you, to that place where I promised you all those great and glorious promises, where all the promises I'd made to Abraham, your granddad, Isaac, your father, where I made them all again to you and called you into the covenant, brought you into that covenant that I'd made with your ancestors. Right now, go back to that place, re-engage, reconnect and dwell there make an altar there start to worship me there on purpose go after me on purpose Jacob 
And so uh, he says, make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. He's reminding him of this place of encounter. So Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, put away your foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make an altar there to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and all the rings that were in their ears and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that is near Shechem. So Jacob now is provoked in his spirit finally he's showing some spiritual leadership around the place and he's saying right you guys everybody in this household let's get rid of all these foreign gods now you remember that um rachel his favorite wife had stolen some household gods or teraphim from her father and had hidden them in her under her saddle of her donkey and remained seated on them and um Jacob had come looking uh sorry Laban her father had come looking for them and she'd lied and she'd stayed on the camel sitting on these idols what on earth she wanted them for unless in her heart there was some mixture of divided loyalty but it's interesting that no at no point do we hear Jacob when he discovers that she's actually nicked these things. At no point do we hear him kind of challenging her or even rebuking her and saying, Rachel, what have you done? You've brought this these unholy gods in these idols, these images into our home, into our domestic world. What are you doing? And we see this horrible mixture, don't we, of Laban's culture of kind of semi-godliness mixed in with idolatry. And we see that influencing Jacob's family. And we see this horrible kind of strain of ungodliness in the family line that then kind of reaches its bloody kind of climax with Simeon and Levi going and deceiving the the whole city of Shechem and putting them all to the sword, plundering them. And no doubt when they did that, they came back not just with money and livestock and so on, but they would have come back with images of their gods, which were usually made of precious stones and had some kind of intrinsic value in themselves. So they were, or not precious stones, precious metals. Um, and they had some intrinsic value in themselves. And so they would have probably brought this as part of the plunder. So by the time Jacob is now saying, come on, we need to sort this house out. There are probably more than just a couple of idols brought in by Rachel, but maybe hundreds that have been collected by, you know, along with the spoils of war from the city of Shechem. And so now he's saying, right, we're going to get rid of all these foreign gods that are among you and we're going to purify ourselves. You guys, we are going to purify ourselves. We're going to change our garments. It's like we're making a 
body language declaration here. We're carrying out a prophetic enactment, if you like. We're carrying out a prophetic sign. We are changing our clothes, the stuff that is contaminated from the region around us, the cultures around us. We're changing those clothes now and we're dressing ourselves in fresh clothes as a sign that we're kind of devoting ourselves to God afresh. And so they even bring their earrings and stuff. And I don't know what significance the earrings have other than they seem to have a significant, some kind of ungodly connection for them. So they bring all of that. And they, I don't know, guess they dug a hole and they buried it at the foot of this big tree in that was near Shechem. And so somewhere there's a hoard of treasure to be dug up by someone they're interested in ancient historical treasures if you could find that tree you'd be making a wonderful historical find with lots of idols as well no doubt and so listen to this though so they have come into revival <clears throat> as a family they've consecrated themselves they've made themselves holy again they've unhooked from all the kind of accoutrements and the trappings of idolatry and they've dug a massive hole buried it all filled it over and they are walking away in clean clothes and without all their kind of idolatrous earrings and stuff like that and listen to what happens verse 5 as they journeyed a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue them uh, pursue the sons of Jacob. So, right, remember Jacob has got a bad name from the locals because of the massacre at Shechem, but instead of being pursued and hunted like a dog, um, Jacob and his people are able to pass through because the fear of the Lord has come on the inhabitants of the cities of that are adjacent to them and that they have to pass nearby as they make their journey to Bethel. The fear of God has come into the region. Why? Because one household led by one man has said, we are going to purify ourselves. We are going to consecrate ourselves and make ourselves holy to God. We are going to return to our first love. We're going to return to our destiny as God's chosen people, and we are going to unhook from all the ugly trappings of idolatry that we've kind of attached, allowed to attach themselves to us. Paul says in Romans, he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And, and the J.B. Phillips translation famously says, don't let this world squeeze you into its mould, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is a process. This is a moment of unhooking, consciously unhooking from all the baggage, all the trappings of this world and the culture around themselves and saying we're going to be different. We are setting out to be different on this journey. We are going to be different. And as they make that resolve and they take those steps, God 
comes and visits them with his presence in such an awesome way that the neighbouring cities don't rise up to attack them, but allow them safe passage through the land. Now, this isn't a long journey um, from Shechem to Bethel. It's only 20 or so miles, I believe, unless my, my information is incorrect. Um, and, but it, it's a bit of a awkward terrain and they're herding thousands of animals as well and taking lots of children of all ages. And so it would have taken them a while to get there. And But in that time, when they're vulnerable, when they're on the move and they're not positioned defensively, God defends them and protects them through that wilderness, um, through that journey, which is a foreshadowing of another journey that they're going to make where God protects them from the surrounding nations and cities. And verse six, and Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, and he and all the people who are with him and there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, which means God of Bethel, God of the house of God. Because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. So this is a this is a place in history that he marked, didn't he? He marked it out by raising up this pillar and anointing it with oil. And now he's coming back to this place of encounter. And... Um, so God had revealed himself to him there and Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alon Bakuth, which means, um, what does it mean? It means oak of weeping. So they marked, they, they buried this lady who was obviously very dear to them. We're not really clear why she went along or what her significance appearing now in this story is other than we know that when Rebecca came up from her father Laban's household he sent her with her servant her nurse and this is the lady now whether she's been with Jacob all of this time we don't really know but it's a, an interesting little note that someone as humble as a nurse you know the child's nurse who would have accompanied them throughout their childhood and been their teacher and their, you know, and all the rest of it and looked after them, babysitter, etc., etc. She was considered precious enough and important enough to get a mention in this story. I love that. Um, so, and they even called the tree Oak of Weeping. So God appeared to Jacob again, and when when he sorry. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram and blessed him. And God said, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Now, God has already floated that with Jacob. He's already said, I'm going to call you Israel from now on, not Jacob. But this is God meeting with Jacob again. And remember when God, when Jacob wrestled with God, God said to him, what is your name? Like God does sometimes. He asks these questions to establish some kind of baseline of understanding with us. And he says, what is your name? Well, this time he doesn't say, what is your name? He tells him what his name is. He says, your name is Jacob, but not anymore. 
So I'm marking you out, Jacob. I'm identifying you. I'm speaking to you just so you understand. I'm saying this again in words of two syllables. Your name or three. Your name is now Israel. You are no longer the grasper, but you're the one who has prevailed with God, who prevails with God. And so he called his name Israel and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come from your own body. This is amazing. Remember when again, when he wrestled with the angel or, or with God in that moment before he meets Esau, um, he, God asked him his name. And he says, my name's Jacob. And then he asks God his name and God doesn't tell him. He just kind of fends it off and says, why do you ask me my name? Well, here God is saying, I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. This is the one you're talking to. Just in case you have still not got it. I am God Almighty. And this is what I'm saying to you. Be fruitful and multiply. That was God's command to Adam and Eve, wasn't it? Fill the earth and subdue it, right? I'm going right back to your origins, Jacob, right back to the very first couple I ever placed on the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. This is part of your mandate, son. Go ahead and do it. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come from your own body. This is just so interesting. He's saying, you're going you're gonna to be the father of kings. You're, I'm, and God spoke to Israel much later on as a nation and said, you are a kingdom of priests. You're a royal priesthood. And, and, and it's like there's always been this destiny on the nation of Israel that they would be kings and priests. They would be like this kind of, royalty with their connection with heaven on the earth demonstrating the kingdom of God on the earth and and God is prophesying all of this into Jacob now and he's saying this is all going to come from you this is going to come from your loins it's incredible isn't it and I think sometimes we underestimate the importance of what God wants to do through our children and through that process of having giving birth and I, the Catholic Church has become known, uh, or certainly was known, for large families. And there's something, there's something important about families. And I think the Catholic Church did understand something of that, that there's something about filling the earth with little people, filling the earth with people who we are making disciples of. And but it comes back to us as parents, doesn't it, then to disciple our families well and to train them up. And that, again, was part of the call on Abraham, that he will command his household after him to do righteousness and justice. And sometimes it's tiring being a parent and we feel like we're kind of pushing water uphill with our parenting. And it's a you know, there's a challenge involved and there's inertia and there's the culture of this world trying to steal the hearts of our children. But that even that process of parenting and making disciples of our children is a spiritual battle. It's a noble 
spiritual battle that we're engaged in. We should never tire of praying for our children, blessing our children, encouraging them, discipling them, teaching them, loving them, all of that stuff. Even when they don't seem receptive, let us not tire of bringing them before God and speaking a blessing over them and their children and their children's children and so on and so on. Good morning, Pat and Mike. God bless you. So anyway, so here he is. He's saying, um, verse 12, the land that I give to Abraham and Isaac, or I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the, in the place where he'd spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of that place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Now, I think what we're having there is a little bit of a kind of flashback to that time when um when Jacob met with God there the first time and he pulled the stone he'd been sleeping on up and poured oil on it and said, surely God is in this place. And I didn't realize it, but now this has become, he's there again and he's pouring a drink offering, which would have been wine poured out before God, pour some more oil on this rock. And it's like he's kind of somehow just wanting to mark that place as a place of encounter and the name of it. He called Bethel, but he'd already called it that already. And so he, we're just being reminded, really, of this importance of this location, this physical location on the earth where God had met with him. Now, here's the thing. If God has met with you in a place, in a physical place, there are times, I think, when it's beneficial for us to go back to that physical place and just remember the dealings of God with us in that place. And just lately, I, I went back up to Sheffield the other day and I just remembered and I've been reminding myself of a an encounter I had with the Lord in the long park that goes out through into Derbyshire. It's, I think it's Eccleshall Park. And I remember sitting on the, that you can just keep walking in several miles and you end up out in the countryside I remember sitting in that park and God speaking to my heart and those words that he said to me then I still remember now they're still precious I, I believe they're absolutely 100% relevant and they're operating in my life to this day and we just you know we need to re, if not revisit physically but revisit that encounter with God and just be refreshed in it go back to your first love like it says in in the book of revelation okay so he anyway there we go verse 16 then they journeyed from bethel when they were still some distance from ephrath which is bethlehem which means house of bread rachel went into labor so favorite wife went into labor so she's pregnant again so this is now her second child and she had a hard, and she had hard labor. Now, I think most women would say, yeah, me too. I had hard labor. And I think it probably is just hard, full stop for most people. Um, but this was particularly difficult. Remember, there was no there were no um, kind of cesareans and no skillful surgeons around to help her and fontus and or whatever it is and forceps and all the rest of it. None of that going on. So she's giving birth and there is a midwife, 
midwife with her. Um, and the midwife says to her, so verse 17, when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, do not fear for you have another son. So it looks like it was coming out feet, feet first. So it's a breech baby, which is difficult, isn't it? And and she says, do not fear for you have another son and her soul. <laughs> Excuse me. As her soul was departing for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni which means son of son of my sorrow and she's grieving because she knows that she's not going to see this little boy she's never going to be his you know she's never going to enjoy being his mum so she called his name Ben Oni but his father called him Benjamin which was good it was a good recovery which means son of my right hand sorry and Jacob set a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Well, I don't know if it's still there. My friends who go to Israel will probably tell me. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Um, uh, but anyway, so it was certainly there as a monument for probably hundreds of thousands of years to come. Verse 21, Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent. I like it now. We're calling him Israel. And pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. When while Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. That is shocking. That is incest. Reuben, this eldest of the sons, has found he's he's just gone with Jacob's other wife. Remember there were uh, Rachel and Leah and their two servants and Bilhah was Rachel's servant and he's gone in and had sex with her so he's committed this really horrible crime of incest and I presume rape of his stepmom this is just not good um just appalling and Jacob and Israel heard of it. And we don't hear Israel saying anything in that moment. But you may depend when the blessings come at the end of Israel's life. This is all factored in. So what's interesting is that Reuben was the eldest son. He and now Simeon and Levi, who were the next two in line, the three of them have just about disqualified themselves from being the receivers of the covenantal blessing that would flow down, which had come from Abraham, Isaac, now into Jacob. And it bypasses this three and goes to Judah, child number four. And he becomes the one who the Messiah comes from and who inherits really all the blessings of the nation of Israel that comes from. And so for many years, the remnant is called Judah, isn't it? It's even called after Judah. But Judah means praise and strength. And so Reuben has just cut himself out of the story by this horrible, treacherous act. Now, the sons of Jacob, it is a power play. That's what it is. He's trying to assert himself as the head of the tribe by sleeping with his father's concubine. It's just dirty, horrible, worldly, fleshly behaviour the kind of thing we might expect from Genghis Khan's crew, that horrible kind of behavior. Anyway, 
So now the sons of Jacob were 12. The sons of Leah were Reuben, um, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of, oh sorry, yeah, the sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Paddan Aram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. So Jacob's finally completed this circuit. He's made it home to find his dad there. His dad's still alive, incredibly, at 180 years old. Now, and... Um, Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Isaac and Jacob had sojourned. Sorry, Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years and Isaac breathed his last and he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. It's quite a touching little story. We don't get much more out of we don't get any more out of Isaac he's done his blessing on the two boys but now these sons who had been so divided in their childhood and the tensions and hostilities had been so great that it's amazing that Jacob survived it all now they're united in grief and there they are coming together to bury their father there is so much, isn't there, in this story, this incredible narrative as it unfolds. I really pray and hope that God is speaking to you each time we do these saunters. And if it's been helpful to you, do share it on Facebook. It's all up on YouTube and it's also on my podcast. If you have any friends who might be interested, it does help. And we just want the word of God to get out there and do what it's meant to do and shape our lives and disciple us. So God bless you. Have a stunning day and may his favour be all I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page and my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit. And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him. But more than anything else, that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, Eden and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops. Or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do like it and review it because that really, really does help. Thank you so much.